Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on identity. Good morning, Cross family. It is a joy to be with you again today. And I pray that you're in, just enjoying this time of worship as we continue to press into our risen King, Jesus, our Savior. And uh, I, I just pray that you're encouraged today as we continue to dive deeper into our series that we've titled Identity. I want to start with a Ravi Zacharias quote, and it kind of builds off of last week, if you will, of some of the things that we were talking about of desiring to see people come to deep knowledge in their faith, uh, seeing Christ fully developed in our lives. And uh, I, I think this quote is going to get us going to where I want to uh, kind of have a discuss, uh, discussion with you today. But Ravi said this, he said, the differences of worldviews can separate us from others. But in offering a defense of the Christian faith, and Ravi, he spoke literally all over the world uh, defending the claims of the gospel. He goes on to say this, I know that in these discussions, they can be done without compromise and without animosity. They can be done with gentleness and respect. And so... Worldviews, different philosophies, people coming from a variety of camps, a, different, a variety of different belief systems. Uh, everybody we meet has a worldview. I want to give you a definition. A worldview is the framework in how we view reality and how we make sense of life and the world. A worldview, it's the frame in how we kind of view and understand life. It's any ideology is any philosophy, theology, or religion that governs our approach to understanding God in the world, plus understanding man's relationship to God in the world. So every, every person has a worldview. We've all been framed. We all have a certain uh, marinade, if you will. A two-year-old child believes that he is the center of his world. A secular humanist believes that the material world is all that really exists. A Buddhist, when you start to study the Buddhist belief system, a Buddhist believes that he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. Now, there, there's all these different worldviews, but a strong biblical worldview leads us to believe that our primary purpose for existence on this planet is to know God, love God, serve God, worship God, and walk with God. A biblical worldview, and, and as we come to faith in Christ, we start to believe what God says in the Word, that you're here to know me, love me, serve me, worship me. So every person, again, that we meet has some type of a worldview. And your personal worldview is a combination of all that you believe to be true. Now, what you believe becomes the driving force behind every thought, every emotion, decision, and action. It impacts every area of our life, whether it be philosophy, science, theology, finances, law, politics, whatever, your worldview, how you see life, is going to drive uh, every decision and action that you have. Now, over the last years, and if you just pay attention to the news just a little bit, over the last few years, we've seen some very corrupt worldviews. 
we've seen some of these corrupt worldviews being lived out. And for many of us, we scratch our heads going, well, why did they do that? I remember a few years back in Charleston, South Carolina, a guy walks in to a uh, to Emmanuel AME church. He sat through a Bible study. Then he murdered nine people, including the pastor. And you go, why did he do that? Because they were of a different race. And apparently this confused, misguided man had a worldview that said people of a different race, their lives are not as valuable as mine. And we would go, that is so jacked up. That is so twisted. But then I read the story about San Bernardino, California. A husband and wife enter the place where many of those uh, co-workers of theirs had gathered for a party. And they ended up murdering 14 of their co-workers, injured many more. And you go, why did they do that? Because they had a religious ideology, being Islamic extremists, that said that the lives of non-Muslims were not valued as much as their own lives. You go, that's crazy. How about the story out of Cincinnati, Ohio? The little boy falls into an area at the Cincinnati Zoo where a gorilla was. And the zoo made a decision to kill the animal so that they could save the child. Death threats were made to the parents. Why? Because some people have a worldview that says the life of an animal and the life of a child should be viewed the same. That was these people's worldview. How about Orlando, Florida? When a guy walks into a, a nightclub, a gay nightclub, and he murdered 49 people, injuring many more. You go, why did he do that? Because he had a worldview that suggested that people who embraced a certain type of sexuality, they didn't deserve to live. And so every person has a worldview, and your worldview and my worldview matters. The way that we view the world, the way that we see reality has consequences. Worldviews dictate behavior and it dictates action. So whether you're co-workers, people around you, and you go, they're, they're crazy. They're, they're constantly representing their worldview. Chuck Colson, he passed away a few years ago. But Chuck has a great quote when it comes to worldviews. He made this statement. He said, the way we see the world can change the world. In every action we take, we're doing one of two things. We're either helping to create a hell on earth, or we're helping to bring down a foretaste of heaven. We're either contributing to the broken condition of the world, or we're participating with God in transforming the world to reflect his righteousness. We're either advancing the rule of Satan, or we're, we're about establishing the reign and rule of God. Our choices are shaped by what we believe is real, true, right, wrong, or good. Our choices are shaped by our worldview. Again, a worldview is, is kind of a mix of the theology and the philosophies and all this stuff. So here, here, here's a working definition. And this is such a crucial pertinent conversation to have today. What is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is based on, listen to me, it's based on the infallible 
word of God. When you believe that the Bible is true and you say, I believe that the Bible is final authority, then you allow the word of God to be the foundation for everything that you say and do, for everything that you say you believe. That means that when we study and ponder scripture, we take to heart everything God says. Even looking at Romans 13, we're told to honor the governing authorities. How do we do that? We do that by researching the candidates, researching issues, and we do that by making voting a priority. God has called us to be a part of this in our culture. I want you to study. Because if you're going to honor the governing authorities, you better make sure that the people that you're voting for and placing in office represent what you claim you believe. And there's such tension today. So the question is, do you have a biblical worldview? George Barna used this survey, and he put together a variety of questions. But I would encourage you to ponder these questions today. When it comes to your worldview, do absolute moral truths exist? Do you believe that absolute objective moral truths exist? Do you believe that? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Do you believe that absolute truth is laid out for us inside the scriptures? 66 canonized books here. Here's another question. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life. Was Jesus on this planet for some 33 plus years, did he live a sinless life? Here, here's another question. Think about this one. Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? Is God omni, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent? Is he all-knowing? Does he, is he sovereign? Meaning, is he in full control? Does he still have sovereign rule today? Does he? Here's another crucial question. Is salvation a free gift from God that cannot be earned? Oh, these are crucial in establishing worldview. Here, here's another one. Is Satan real? Is he real? Does a Christ follower have the responsibility to share their faith with other people? Is that a responsibility that God's given us? How do you answer that? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Now, if you go through those questions, I would encourage you to sit there and go, all right, how do you answer these? But what's more important than how you would verbally answer is whether your life truly shows it day in and day out. Because what we understand is our reactions in life reflect what we believe to be real and to be true. So when I'm squeezed and the pressures come my way, what is being reflected out of my life? Now, here's a big problem. Here's a big problem. Non-biblical worldviews and non-biblical ideas bombard us constantly, whether it's television, movies, music, newspapers, books, even the academic world. We're living in a world where non-biblical, I'm talking pagan worldviews, are constantly being thrown at us. And because we live in a selfish, fallen world, many of these ideas, 
they, they end up seducing us. They appeal to the desires of our flesh. And we often, if we're not careful, we get caught up incorporating some of these uh, worldly ideas into our personal worldview. And we often do it without even knowing it. If we're not careful, we'll start to take things from the world, from the secular or whatever, and they start to have a place, if you will, in our worldview. Now, this is why a worldview is so important. If we do not really believe the truth about God and live it, then our witness for Jesus will always be very chaotic and misleading. That's the reason. Again, what you're doing speaks so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. That's a quote I heard years ago. People would confess, but they didn't possess. And because they did not possess the abundant life, they were. a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. But the scripture tells us that we'll, we'll know a tree by its fruit. Most of us can go through life not even recognizing that our personal worldview has been affected and even perverted by the world. And that's the reason, oh, Jesus calls us to be his disciples, and he calls us to live a life of radical surrender. Paul, when he was writing to the believers in Colossae, and you find this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, but here, here's what he said. He, he says, do not be taken captive by all these empty philosophies that depend on human tradition. And don't, don't do it. And what we're seeing is so many people are taken through hollow and deceptive philosophies. They're being taken down. It depends on the traditions of man. It depends on the principles of the world. And it's not based on Christ. And Paul was even warning, please see to it that you do not allow this stuff to sidetrack you and to derail you and to take you down a path that's going to get you away from Christ. So we know that by being diligent to learn, listen, to apply and to trust God's word in every area of our lives is absolutely foundational because we can begin to develop deep faith that will stand strong against the corruption of our twisted culture's ideas. If we embrace God's worldview, and if we trust it with unwavering faith, then we will begin to make the right decisions and respond in a godly manner. So whether the questions are about abortion or same-sex marriage or even all of the media's influence right now, if we're building our lives on the Word of God, I'm telling you, it will strengthen us because it is our decisions and actions that reveal what we truly believe. Paul said again in Romans chapter 12, I urge you in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow the mind to be infiltrated and saturated with the word. So this is so crucial. Now, I've got kids, I've got five, and they range in age from 16 to 27. And many of you have children. And, 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 and I was thinking through this, like what really shapes our worldview? Even as a 57-year-old dude now, it's like, all right, what has shaped a lot of my worldview? I want to give you five things. One, I would say this. 
What shapes our worldview? Culture does. The community that we live in, our society that we live in, the value systems that people have, certain customs, the music, again, media, uh, even some of our own personal heritage or traditions or the ideals that were presented to us. And so we know that culture helps shape who people are. That's the reason we believe as a church is so important to establish healthy culture. Okay, here's another one. Education. What we've been taught is truth. Again, God has been removed from schools, prayer. Uh, the word of God is not being even mentioned anywhere. If you even reference God, even as a teacher, you can be fired. It's so jacked up. So the education, where am I getting uh, my education? And please understand that you and I are the product of what we read, what we watch, what we subject our minds to. And so we've all got this marinade. We've heard stuff. We've been taught stuff. I mean, there's a lot of cliches. People have pres presented things to us, and, and it shapes our worldview, whether it's true or whether it's not. Religious beliefs. I didn't have a lot of this growing up. Uh, we didn't really have much church attendance, but there was enough people around me that claimed some type of God concept, and all of us uh, growing up at some level uh, what we have been taught regarding faith has entered into our lives. Again, so many people believe that God is a cosmic sheriff and he's just going to blow you up and he just wants to beat you up. And again, as we've mentioned, some have a view of God that he's a cosmic Santa. Just sit on his lap, do whatever you want to do, and he's going to come through for you. We've got to get a right view of God. But all of us have had religious people around us. Another thing, we're all... All of us have emotions. Now, how we feel about certain things, how we feel about certain issues can become so strong that it ends up outweighing any logic or truth. And so we have to be careful, but all of us have been shaped with emotions. And here's another. For some, and this didn't happen to me until I was about 22 years old, until I surrendered to Christ. But the Bible, belief in God's word and obeying its teaching. Now, this is the trump card in my life. This trumps culture. This trumps scholastic education. This trumps any emotion. I've got to build my life on the word of God. Now, I would encourage you, allow this to be your standard. Now, here are six crucial components of having a biblical worldview. I could add more, but I've shrunk it down just to six. I would say this. Point number one, God is the creator of the world, and God rules the universe. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I personally believe that before there can be a creation, there has to be a creator, and I personally believe that based on my study of Scripture, God is the creator, the orchestrator of it all. We exist because of God. The second thing I would tell you is this. The Bible is God's word for mankind, and it is completely accurate for all matters of life. That's the reason Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And he goes, Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for use. It will teach you what's right. It'll teach you what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. And so that is crucial, a, a crucial component in my biblical worldview. 
A third thing is I would say this. Absolute moral truth exists. Study Psalm 102. Look at Malachi 3, uh, 3.6. Does moral truth exist? Is it absolute? Which means it's true for all people of all places of all times. Yes. Study it. I believe that. Here, here, here would be a fourth component. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again from the grave on the third day. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered unto you as of first importance what God also uh, gave me, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. So I believe that a crucial component of having a biblical worldview is Jesus. You, you came, you lived sinless, you defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's where my faith is anchored. Now, even in light of that, here's a fifth component. Satan is a real being, and Satan seeks to defeat God's plan for man. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that Satan roars around like a lion. And he's just seeking someone to, de to devour. He's like a lion in the wilderness, man. He's, he's just prowling around looking for something to pounce on. Is Satan real? Yes, Jesus said that the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, all of the works of hell. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Crucial component of my faith. Here would be a sixth component. Salvation is only received by individual faith in Christ's work, on what he's done on the cross, and it cannot be earned. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I challenged you a few weeks ago. Please memorize that. But by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. You can't do anything to earn it. It must be received. And so these six components, as you establish a worldview, as you're mentoring and teaching your children, I would take those six and say, man, we're going to build a strong biblical worldview. Because, again, the world is trying to, it's trying to come at, it, at us with all these different messages. And, and it's trying to seduce us and take us away from truth. It's trying to do things that would arouse the flesh. And we, 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 get, we got to say, stop. I'm building my life on the word of God. So, here are three things I believe that we must resolve, okay? This is huge. We must view all of life through the Bible. This becomes my sifter. All of life gets poured into this. Man, my granny years ago, even my mom had the old sifter. They would pour the flour in, and they would turn it, and, and, and they would shake it, and they would take all the lumps and throw it away. But everything, everything when they made those biscuits, they would go through that little sifter to make sure the flour was good. This is our sifter. And you can't just take bits and pieces of God's word and try to form a philosophy of life. This is one of the biggest crimes today among Christians. They cut and paste and they a la carte and they take what they like. And even some people will say, well, I'll only believe the things about God that allow me to have success or the things that allow me to be accepted. You can't do that. 
And so many, even so-called teachers out there, they cut and they paste and they a la carte and they take little bits and pieces <clears throat> and they're building a, a teaching or doctrine that's inconsistent. I can't do that. I, and you, you don't want to do that. Second thing, we must view opposing worldviews. Listen to me. We must, we must view the opposing worldviews as opportunities, not as enemies. And for so many people, if a person thinks or believes or says something, they want to fight. Back to what Robbie said. This can be done with such gentleness and respect. Those people are opportunities. They're not enemies. And this can be so hard for some of us. But it's exactly what Paul did on Mars Hill. If you study Acts chapter 17, Paul proclaimed his message the message of the gospel to a humanistic society. He stood strong on his belief in truth. He gets there, and it's all this polytheistic worship, and he listens, and he's been paying attention, uh, noticing that they're very religious people. But Paul says, you've got this inscription to an unknown God. I want to talk to you about the unknown God. He's the one that I worship. So his biblical worldview was so strong that he engaged a pagan society that was sincere in what they believed. He engaged them. He didn't push them away. He did not back down, but he boldly proclaimed his God as the true God amongst their gods as being false. And so when you study that, I'm like, Paul, I love Acts 17. He was armed with nothing but scripture, and he spoke to them about God's love and about God's grace and about repentance and about judgment. So Paul viewed Mars Hill as a mission field, not a battlefield. And again, our culture today is so twisted, empathetic, arrogant, perverted. But our culture is not the enemy. Our culture is an opportunity. Satan is the enemy. And when we see people, people are an opportunity for evangelism. And we must know, study, oh, so that we're ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. We can be offensive, not to offend, but we can be offensive by representing the counsel of God. And that is so crucial. Now, the Bible says, the Bible says that those who have an opposing worldview to the gospel, have their minds blinded by Satan. I want you to think about that. People that have a worldview that is opposed to the things of God or opposed to the standards and principles and truth of Scripture, the Scripture says their minds are blinded by the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul says. If the good news that we preach is hidden... It's behind a veil. It is hidden only from those who are perishing. If what we're preaching is being rejected and, and not accepted, it, it is being hidden behind a veil. Because Satan, listen to this, Satan, who is the God of this world, small g God, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Even Paul writing saying they don't understand the message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God because Satan has blinded their minds. So when we, when we meet people, we, we've got to view them not as opposition but as opportunity. And the thief is going to try to keep people in darkness. That's, again, the reason even people that walk aisles and pray prayers, but they never become disciples, and they never possess their possessions. Satan is doing everything he can to keep you ineffective today, and we've got to rise up and stand strong on God's word. Here's the third thing. We must believe that the Christian worldview is absolute. It's not just right. It's absolutely right. When Paul preached, you read the book of Acts. Look at some of the interaction he had. Paul preached to those that were pantheist. He preached to those who had all this uh, polytheistic belief about them. He preached to those who were serving many different gods. Paul preached to the leaders of that culture of that day the poets and the historians and the educators, those that were culture shapers. Paul preached to those who were idol worshipers. Paul preached to those who were mocking and unbelief uh, in regards to who he was or even what the gospel was. Paul in his day preached to those who were racist. And it is such a model for us to go, that's what God is going to tee up for us. We live in a liberal culture that is being ambushed right now by a lot of other religions. We must, like never before, be saturated in the truth of the Bible. This is the only way that we can live victorious. This is the only way that we're going to live a God-honoring life. This is the only way God is going to really be able to use us. And so study the arguments of some of the other beliefs, but not for the sake of trying to fight them, but to win them to Christ. What you believe means nothing until it has action. Feet, our, our, our faith must have feet. So I want to encourage you as I wrap up my time today. God is at work, and God is wanting to grow every evangelical to be salt and light in the world in which you live. What is your worldview? If you had to lay out the essentials and your beliefs, what would it be? And I want to encourage you to dive into the word. Establish that God is creator. Establish that Jesus was sinless, perfect. He died a criminal's death to atone for sin. Establish in your belief that you can't earn it, you can't work for it, it's a free gift. Establish that God is calling you and calling me to be about the great commission, that we are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I want to encourage you, dive deep, and if we can help you, we have spiritual growth plans and different things. We would love to be able to send you a PDF or whatever to say, hey, we want to help you take those next steps. We want to help you get serious about living out your faith. And so that would be my encouragement to you today. So let's pray and let's really, uh, let's repent. Let's repent of apathy. 
Let's repent of just being lethargic. Let's repent of anything that's hindering the Holy Spirit from really being able to be just totally active in our lives. And what do you say? Let's claim our inheritance in Christ and let's be little Jesuses, if you will. That's what a disciple is, just walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's be, let's be little Jesuses to our world and let us love our neighbor and take the gospel of hope to our world because there's so many twisted worldviews. But praise God for truth. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you again for being at work. Lord, thank you for desiring to grow us. Lord, thank you for, Lord, you're desiring to see maturation take place in our lives. And then in the name of Jesus right now, I pray for every person under my voice. I pray for every person that is sat there today and contemplated even this, this message. I pray, Father, that we would not be conformed to this world. I pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I pray that we would have such a strong, conservative, biblical worldview. And I pray that the compassion and empathy of Jesus would spill through us, Father, in Jesus' name, that we would love our neighbor, that we would love those, Father, that even come across at times in opposition, that we would not view them as the enemy, but as opportunity to share the hope that we have. So, Father, as we continue to worship, Lord, fill our hearts with you, and Lord, let us, Father, be salt and light to our communities, to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.